From Verge headquarters in Indianapolis, I'm Matt Hunkler with Powder Keg Igniting Startups. And in the upcoming conversation, you'll hear about what one tech entrepreneur learned throughout his business education, starting with his childhood startup, his four degrees, including two master's degrees, and a real life experience at working at one of the world's largest companies. When I went to PNG, it was like I was catapulted in real life case studies. And, and that's what it was. I mean, you, you, you show up, they hand you over a, a big p and And I think my, my first p and was, you know, 30 or $40 million. And, and that part of the business I needed to run. That is Rodney Williams, founder and CEO of Listener, which is one of the most disruptive companies in the IoT or Internet of Things space and in the world of mobile connectivity. And in my conversation with Rodney, he shares his greatest lessons in marketing, hustle, and building technology that has the potential to disrupt massive industries. That's coming up on Powder Keg Igniting Startups, where every week we share the untold stories of innovation, leadership, and technology beyond Silicon Valley. When you subscribe to Powder Keg, you make sure you don't miss any of the leadership or innovation insights that we uncover in each and every conversation. You can download or stream any of these episodes with people like Kara Nortman, founder of Seedspot and VC partner at Upfront Ventures in Los Angeles. We also have guests like Chris Hively, who's the co-founder of MapQuest, turned investor and now startup whisperer. I love that term, startup whisperer. But we've also got guests like Mike Dillard, who started the number one self-help podcast on iTunes. And he started that solely for the reason of raising the seed capital he would need to fund a disruptive tech company. These are crazy startup stories, and you won't hear them anywhere else. And you can find all of it completely free at www.powderkeg.co or on iTunes, which you can access with our handy link, www.powderkeg.co slash iTunes. This episode of Powder Keg is brought to you by our amazing friends at Developer Town. Now, Developer Town provides fresh perspectives to both established companies and new entrepreneurs looking to build new products. Darren Shapurji, who's a good friend of mine, is also a partner and senior designer at Developer Town. He's been with that company since the beginning, so he's experienced on how Developer Town often has to have hard conversations with clients about their approach. We also bring kind of... (laughs) almost like a little bit of some ignorance about, well, why do you guys do it that way? You know, and you know, sometimes they'll be like, we did it that way because of X, Y, and Z. And we'll be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. But then there's sometimes where they'll say, you know, we don't know why we did it that way. Some person asked about it. And so we just went with it. And that's where I mean that we really challenge these assumptions of then saying, okay, well, I think we should go back and ask ourselves, you know, is that the best method for solving this problem at the moment? Our clients at first are almost taken aback by that, you know, like, whoa, oh my gosh. And then after a while, they almost rely on that and, and our expertise to, to say those kinds of things and challenge those things as well. And it builds a lot of trust in a way because then they believe that we are invested with them in that product and we are. Building a product is hard, but building a product that customers will love is even harder. And the team of designers, developers, and marketers at Developer Town are willing to have those hard conversations with you. We are thinking about their product not only at a nine to five job, but on our drive home or sitting in front of the TV. And um, I think that's what separates us 
a lot from other development shops is that this isn't just a job where we're thinking about it and then done and switch off a light. And we are constantly trying to help them make a better product. For more information and customer stories, and trust me, you want to hear these customer stories, visit developertown.com slash powder keg. Now, again, that's www.developertown.com slash powder keg to get all of that information and get connected. Developer Town, start something. Our guest today is Rodney Williams, who's the founder and CEO of Listener. You can find Rodney at at Rodney B. Williams on Twitter. And his company is Listener, which is L-I-S-N-R, and you can find them at listener.com. That company was launched in 2012 around the core premise that sound can do more. More specifically, they are using sound to connect more people and devices in ways that have never before existed. Listener has grown into the world's most advanced ultrasonic technology. (laughs) So what's that mean? It means that Listener is an ultrasonic or inaudible technology, meaning you can't hear it. To use nerd speak here for a second, I'm going to describe it as a communication protocol that sends data over audio. In other words, they use ultrasonic audio to send something they call smart tones to transmit information. They've accomplished functionality that engineers and innovators said was entirely impossible, which is why it's so cool we're talking to Rodney today. Listener is seriously one of the most disruptive companies in the IoT or Internet of Things space. They've raised nearly $15 million in capital and have won awards such as the Gold Lion at Cannes for the most innovative mobile technology, and they've won CNBC's Disruptor 50. And Rodney has done all of this headquartered out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Yes, he's a fellow Midwestern entrepreneur, so we were like kindred spirits from the very first second of this interview. Rodney is an innovative, strategic thinker who is totally obsessed with the ways that technology is going to improve our everyday life as we continue to innovate and launch new companies. He's got four degrees, but most notably, two master's degrees, one of which is an MBA from Howard University. And he's got a really cool story because he spent four years at Procter & Gamble, or P&G, as a brand manager and is most noted for being the first marketer there to co-write digital patents. In this interview, you're going to learn how Rodney broke free from Cubicle Nation and started his own company. You're also going to learn his unique approaches to problem solving and innovation while also hearing some very interesting perspectives on marketing. We're going to get into so, so much more. Rodney has amazing stories. He's a very fun guy to talk to, which makes him just as fun to listen to. So please enjoy this interview with Rodney Williams. First of all, Rodney, thank you so much for being here. Really excited to talk to you about what you're doing with Listener and the tech community there in Cincinnati. Uh, but first, I want to take it back to the early days. And like when I say early days, I mean early, early days. Where'd you grow up? <laughs> I didn't know you were going that early. Um, <laughs> I like to keep you on your toes. Well, uh, I'm originally from Baltimore. So I actually grew up uh, in Baltimore. Um, and so I went, to, I went away to college. So I'm originally from, uh, Ravenstown and, uh, I love blue crabs. <laughs> I, I love Baltimore. I've actually spent some time out there, uh, recently with uh, a guy named Mike Binko who kind of runs the startup tech community out there and, uh, was really inspired by just all the entrepreneurial activity. Do you ever get back to Baltimore? Well, my, you know, my family's, uh, still in Baltimore. So, oh, cool. um, 
you know, for, you know I'm, I'm heading that way uh, for the holidays. Oh, very um, nice. Uh, so I'm there pretty often. Is university kind of what took you to Cincinnati? No, I actually uh, moved to Cincinnati um, um, due to Procter and Gamble. So, um, uh, very nice. I got that. I got that job, you know, post graduate school, and uh, went to the Midwest, and uh, <laughs> somehow still stuck. So, did you know that you had the entrepreneurial bug when you took that job at Procter and Gamble? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think I've I've always started things. Um, What's and, your you know, earliest memory of uh, starting something up? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, since day one, I mean, my mom used to own a, a beauty shop and, uh, I used to lease magazines to <laughs> folks that come in and, uh, at like six years old because I had all the cool magazines, you know, now that, you know, but I, I mean, I, I've done businesses and, um, throughout high school and in college, I, uh, that's kind of how I dove in. That's how Procter and Gamble, um, actually um, started to recruit me or got a whiff of me because of a, a company that I started, um, that was, a, an early CRM company, um, that, you know, did well. So now I'm not really an entrepreneur. I just think that, uh, you know, and I think when you're from certain communities, you, you got to figure out how to, um, seize opportunities. And I, and I tend to do that. I love it. I, I love the idea of leasing out magazines. Did you have a bestseller? <laughs> you know, I did, you know, it was really around understanding my, my market. You know, my mom, uh, she was, she's a little older. So, you know, all the magazines were, you know, to an older demographic and I kind of had all the kid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I had like the scholastics and I had, uh, I mean, I just had all the kid stuff. And, you know, the, the people forget that, you know, you go to the beauty shop, you got to bring the kid. Long story short, you know, I, I would get about a dollar a magazine, you know, <laughs> hey, that, that's good money, man. That's good money. I know you had to give it back. I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> so, did the uh, the marketing research inform your foray into the CRM technology platform? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't study marketing until grad school, but you know, I was a finance guy. But you know, I've always kind of been driven by that that market information. What started in high college was, you know, when Facebook opened up to our university and, you know, if, you know, if you were around before that, the, the university and every party, everyone communicated to you um, via the school newspaper and the school email was OK, um, <laughs> but it didn't really have a CRM program to, to tailor to who you are, your major, et cetera. Not at that level. So long, I, th I thought it was an opportunity to own emails. So I actually... Um, you know, myself and my best friend, we, we created, you know, we started collecting emails pretty much any way possible. Um, and as we would collect these emails, we were creating databases um, where, you know, if you had an event or a party, that's kind of how it started. I mean, we could email, you know, 50% of that dormitory uh, or we could have, we have a group of 30,000 students. Wow. Now that led to um, us, you know, taking that and going to businesses and saying, hey, instead of running that, you know, $800 to $1,000 ad in the school paper every week, you can pay us 300 bucks, and we're going to bring in more traffic to your store, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it kind of grew into that and kept growing. And uh, into, uh, eventually, we were like, let's get rid of this thing. You know, it, it catapulted me into marketing. And then I, I went and got my MBA and, and started to think about, wow, you know, that's what I was really doing um, at an at a early age. And um and then using technology to what I would call, like, I mean, I think technology just completely opens up opportunity 
um, within segments. Um, and it's just about seizing it for a moment. Absolutely, man. And uh, I'm a kindred marketing spirit over here, although I did not get my MBA. You see a little bit of a divide sometimes in the technology world, you know, looking at higher education as, you know, a waste of time or the only way you can get into business and, and learn the ropes. Talk to me about what the MBA meant for you in terms of how you've now scaled your business at, at Listener and the business you were growing at the time. Yeah, you know, one of the things I always say is that, um, I don't think there's any right way <laughs> your founder story versus another founder story or your, you know, career path versus another one. I mean, I think if anyone kind of tells you as a, as a best approach, I think it's all, it's like uh, it's all kind of BS. I think what's important is that you got to figure out what's the best approach for you. And I think that's more important than, um, what's the best approach. But, uh, I mean, for me, you know, um, it was, it was incredible, um, for me. And everything was a proving ground or a learning ground for me. You know, I, um, I did four degrees before going to work, but yeah. I, I worked all throughout um, school um, in government and then at Procter & Gamble and then went after Procter & Gamble because of its learning ground. I mean, it's, that was like an MBA part three or four. Yeah, master class um, in marketing, right? Yeah, it was just, it was just incredible. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, fortunately, yeah, I think I have a competitive advantage when I compete with technology companies that don't know, you know, the, the list of the top technology companies, they all at some point result to making money off of marketing. Even Zuckerberg just called Facebook a media company now. Yeah. And, it, and I laugh. So at some point you either have to hire a bunch of folks like me. Now it's rare that folks like me can also create things and, and not just make things better or evolve things. So, I think, you know, I think for me, it's just been a complete competitive advantage because I just understand the, the nuances of media and marketing and, and audience um, and consumer behavior insights that that's the like the, the blood or the vein of why technology exists. And um, I think more people should pay attention to that connection. Talk to me about what you learned in your MBA and getting your MBA in marketing What's one thing that you got through your education there that you wouldn't have gotten and been able to apply to your businesses if you hadn't gone the MBA route? So here's the mad scientist. I didn't get my MBA in marketing. My <laughs> MBA was in finance and supply it. chain. I love uh, it. <laughs> um, I figured I was good at marketing. So when I got my MBA, I was like, I'm not going to concentrate in marketing. I did finance. Uh, but I did a, a, another master's before my MBA, and it was a, it was a master's in marketing. Okay. Um, so, but sorry to break the question in two parts. No, what did I, I learn? appreciate that. <laughs> what did I learn in my MBA or, or, or what did I learn in, in, in the master's degree? Let's go with one of each. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the, the master's in, in marketing kind of taught me what, what really marketing is. And I think there's a lot of false definitions, hmm. I, like a lot of perceptions of like what people think marketing is. It's, it's not, it's not creating a, a commercial or coming with a cool campaign. That's what, that's what your creatives and your agency folks do. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not an agency guy. I, I can never work at an agency. Marketing isn't, you know, your social, your, your, your website, none of that. You know, when, when you look at the core of even, you know, Procter & Gamble and why I went there, and, and it, this is why marketing extends theirs, they wrote the book for brand management, which is product management which is why every CEO that's ever existed at P&G has been 
a brand marketer. Now, marketing to me is really, you know, taking a product or a brand, and I and I to me they're equal. They're the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 utilizing pretty much every consumer or customer facing uh, moment to effectively what I would call deliver your solution. Like, and, and, and that's, and that's what it is. So that means packaging. That means what it does, how you communicate what it does, what it should do. Um, that means R and D that means (laughs) innovation. That means, uh, I mean, I think it means everything. So, you know, you know, even at P, I, I, you know, I, I was a brand manager at Pampers and, you know, even at my young age and, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting with the product guys trying to understand if, this, you know, the, the next release of the product is the right product because I don't know. I don't think so. Because, hmm. again, I know the consumer more than anyone. I'm supposed to. You can't just make a product, you know, for babies and moms if you've never really been there and experienced what happens when a mom becomes um, pregnant, et cetera. So I, I look at the same way with technology, I think, or, or any um, product or any brand that you're marketing. I think great marketers have the ability to to influence everything um, because they have to, or it's just doesn't make sense. Well, that's an incredible uh, perspective to have coming into Procter and Gamble, and uh, obviously is a great culture fit for the way P and G approaches their uh, product marketing and their business in general. What did you learn from Procter and Gamble that you didn't have previously? Yeah, you know, one of the biggest things that people, I, I didn't learn, I didn't know that much. And, and my MBA kind of set me up for this, really. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I like to think that I learned how to operate a business. And I, and I know that's like, oh, well, how, you know, how did you learn that in the classroom? I think, you know, when you, know, when you think about your MBA, I mean, you, you learn how to model, you learn how to forecast, you learn about a P&L, um, you, you learn how to, um, I mean, you, you learn, you know, really at, at a mass scale, the, the way the way you should think, the way you should problem solve, you know, a lot of case studies. So, you know, um, that was really important. When, when, when I went to PNG, it was like I was catapulted in real life case studies. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's what it was. I mean, you, you, you show up, they, they hand you over a, a, a big P&L. I mean, I think my, my first P&L was, you know, 30 or $40 million. Um, and, and that part of the business I needed to run. And I had, I had goals to grow that part of the business, you know, two to 6% that year. And then I, I had to use everything in my, you know, what I would call my resource to make sure that happened. So not every, everything from a, a great campaign and working with your agency to give you a great commercial to, working with your retailers to see if you can get more distribution to um, deliver that numbers to, you know, uh, figure out how to save money. Maybe I can save money in the amount of money I'm, I'm spending on marketing, or maybe I can spend more to drive more velocity. Uh, maybe I can do all types of things. <laughs> maybe I can <laughs> reduce the diaper count, you know, from 36 to 32 so that moms could use them more. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying yeah. like literally, you are, you, you are doing everything. Everything is an option for you. And, um, but yeah, I mean, but I, that's, that's running an entire business. And that's, you know, I, you know, meeting with different cross functionals, the finance team, the product team, the, the, uh, the PR team and, and kind of like 
managing an entire piece of company and trying to deliver results every year. I mean, that, that's, that's what I learned at P&G. Um, the, the product or brand could be anything for me. Um, cause I wasn't a dad and I'm still not a dad, and, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, that's irrelevant. So you're at Procter and Gamble and I appreciate you sharing that because, um, a lot of us from the outside probably wonder what it's like to be at that fortune 100 company, what it's like to take those case study lessons and apply them in the real world with that massive budget that you had to two to six X, uh, your earnings. Did you ever feel like your entrepreneurial nature made it difficult for you to operate within the culture of such a large company? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about a time when that that was challenging for you? Yeah. I mean, I got, I mean, I got a famous, like, you know, rant that, that happened at PNG and I'm like (laughs) ranting, I'm standing up in my cubicle and I'm ranting and I feel like I'm like yelling. I'm like, I'm caged. I don't know exactly what sparked it, but I was trying to push through an agenda, you know, something innovative, of course, and groundbreaking. Cause I, 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 I like to think that that's what I was doing. And, you know, I'm getting a lot of pushback and I like stand up and I, and I kind of yell out like, I'm caged. This is like, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> and, um, my boss's boss, like my boss's boss, boss, it <laughs> just happened. <laughs> To be like walking near, he comes over, he looks at me and I was just like, you know what? I don't even care. Like, I, I just didn't even care. And I, and I, um, so yes. So yes. The answer is yes. Well, d- the, d- don't the, leave us on the cliffhanger there. What, what was the outcome of that, uh, that outburst and, uh, moment of clarity? Nothing. I mean, I mean, I eventually, I think I left maybe four months ago oh, later. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, I didn't, you know, whatever the case may be, I think that's what corporate America tends to do, right? Mm. They teach you how to push the button a, and they want the best button a persons. Now the reality about innovation and people who ask questions and people who change, they ask, why are we still pushing the button A? Like, maybe we should like pay someone else to push it. Maybe we should have like on-demand people that push it. Like maybe we should do something different because I don't think pushing it is like the best use of my time. And that's the, the, the problem with, with these, you know, corporate America today and where the innovation may lie is that they, they're training us to be really good button pushers versus training us to also ask, should we still be pushing the button? Um, and I, I just think that's, uh, that's just a, you know, that's just, that's just a problem with any corporate monster that, that has their own, you know, issues. And I mean, when I look at some of the talent that has, you know, I, I'm just most familiar with PNG, but some of the talent that who, who, who left, I mean, I, I never worked with more sm- smarter people than I've worked at Procter and Gamble. I mean, they were incredible talent. So, whenever, wherever they are, they're making an impact. Yeah, now, that says something. Yeah, and unfortunately, the guys that get weeded out are the guys that are, are not going to sit and be caged. Absolutely, I appreciate you sharing that. I I, uh, I can't imagine being in in Cubicle Nation quite like that. I've I've haven't been in the belly of the beast that much, but um, clearly you're very entrepreneurial and learned a lot from Procter and Gamble. Uh, but I'm also glad to hear that you're not caged anymore. Tell me about how you ended up starting an audio technology after working at 
you know, a Fortune 100 CPG consumer packaged goods company? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, while I was there, like I said, I, I was, I did everything technology way to, to break the business. And when I mean break the business, I mean make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was, I was known there. I, I wrote three patents while I was there. I was the first marketer to have digital patents that were actually, you know, doing something for the company wow. and, um, separating it. You know, the, the inspiration that I always, when I fell in love with PNG or when I fell in love with the concept of innovation was this concept of the only reason why soap operas were called soap operas was because, you know, PNG created soap operas to sell more soap. <laughs> yep. And I said, you know, I wish everyone did that. So I wish, you know, the music business created streaming platforms to sell more music, not innovators. Or I wish, you know, you know, why not? Like, why, why is that? Why did that stop? So um, I made it my own personal pursuit to create things and build things in technology. So I was really diving in and using technology to separate myself and my part of the business from my peers. Um, now in that mix, I, I did, I wrote a couple of patents and I got a chance to just be in at the forefront of what we were doing in a technology standpoint. Um, and, and, and I started to get obsessed with not necessarily sound, but more so how can we like effectively communicate to consumers better or, and, and, and what is available for that to happen? Right. Um, you got all the Wi-Fi's and data and but do I know where a consumer is? Do I know that they're walking by that banner? Do I know that they're watching that television show or looking at that commercial? Now, the, the one thing that's pretty present that we kind of forget about within all of those places is sound. And I kind of got stuck in this idea that I think sound can do more. Hmm. And I, you know, at the time, there was a couple technology companies that were doing things with sound that I thought was all neat, that was all cool. And um, that's kind of where it started it. And in the beginning, it was much more about kind of took an idea around using sound to touch consumers and bottled it into a music product and, and, and licensed uh, a tech to go out and do it. Uh, we eventually figured out we could do a lot more, make it a lot better. And, and, and that little pre-packaged you know, use case was just the beginning. Um, and that's how this thing all started. There's a lot of people who probably have a, a safe, secure job similar to you had there at uh, Procter and Gamble, and they've got an entrepreneurial idea that they want to go and pursue, uh, probably similar to you had at the time. What was it that got you to burn, burn the ships and, uh, and, and just go full force to pursuing your dream with listener? Yeah, you know, sometimes I, I call listener magic a lot, and, I, and I, since day one we've we've been making magic, and I, and I think it's just been magical. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What I will tell you is what I did. You know, I had the idea. I, I built a team. Thought you know, learned that you know I couldn't do this on my own. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I didn't know my team, so I, I essentially only knew one person in the five person team that became my founders. I convinced a group of strangers essentially to come follow this dream. We did a startup competition. We did really well. Um, investors were interested. You know, I started to build rapport. They said, you know, if you go out and do X, Y, Z, I'm going to fund you. Took us three months to do X, Y, Z. <laughs> so when I showed back up, um, they funded us. And me in particular, uh, I, I told myself that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ship if we can get funding. I'm going to jump ship if, if we can 
deliver on X, Y, Z in a, in a time period that makes sense. And then the, 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 the biggest thing that I understood about any startup is that speed is everything, right? Um, that's what separates what we do versus what a huge company does. I mean, they're going to spend a lot of time making the decision to go after it versus we can actually go after it. So, um, I knew if we could do, if we could, you know, use our speed and get through some of those early things, we would get a, we would get the traction that we needed to get funding. How do you balance that speed with accuracy? I mean, you've got all this training from your MBA and from Procter and Gamble with projections and modeling, you know, how do you kind of throw that all by the, do you throw all that by the wayside and just focus on speed or is there some kind of a balance that you're playing there? I think you do enough, <laughs> whatever enough is, but you don't do a drop bit more. A minimum you know? viable modeling. Yes. You just do enough. You know, I mean, we're looking at a new business model, for example, and I, this is funny for not a new business model for our business, but we're trying to analyze a new product vertical mm. for our, our tech. And we have an incredible um, business development intern out of Berkeley. And the model was so complex. It was, I mean, it was fantastic. It was beautiful. I don't know how long it took her, <laughs> but again, like I was like, you probably could have spent 10 minutes on it. I could, I could take these three numbers and multiply it by these three numbers and it equals a big enough number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now the fact, and then you could have told me with the point to the, the, the sources, you didn't really have to go through like six or seven different tabs and all of this. And, but I think that's, that's, that's the part that, um, I was, no, that's what separated me also at PNG. I, I didn't, I wouldn't spend time doing all of that. And you know, I would do what was minimum. What was, what that I needed to, what was the minimum thing I needed to show my manager for him to be excited about moving forward with this option? And it sounds like you really had a knack for pitching your ideas and getting people to rally behind them. Did you have a particular pitch? You said that uh, you went to your investors or your soon-to-be investors and said, and they said to you, if you do X, Y, Z, then we'll invest. And then you went and did X, Y, Z. Do you remember what your pitch was for listener at the time? I think the right answer also, and I got to mention, is that if you, if you pay attention or if you hear anything, it's like a, a theme of like, I, I, can, I learn a lot <laughs> and I'm okay with that. And I, and I think people need to like really understand that is that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's just a, a can, I'm learning. So going to that through that startup competition, which is very similar to like a startup weekend and, but a little bit more intense here, you're meeting investors. I, I didn't pitch the company for the first like month because hmm. I, I didn't know how to pitch startup and i'm like and i'm with I, I would watch pitches all day i would watch i would sit in, in investor meetings i would and this is with the little startup competition i mean i was just learning number one i think it's important for you to learn enough stop learning more but just enough so um eventually i, I learned enough and you know when we showed back up you know a couple weeks later um to that investor i mean my pitch was 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 it was solid right i think Great team. We want to use audio to connect to consumers. We're going to do so first by creating a music application where based on what you listen to, you're going to get X, Y, Z. This is why it's different than our competitors. This is why we can win. What do you need to see for this to be attractive? You know, I think it's much more about that. And granted, you got to, you know, put some spin on it and put the shiny suit on it. But, you know, coming out of that, you, you know, you, you, you start to hear Investors will tell you what's making them feel risky about the investment. 
they would say, oh, I, I don't like it or, oh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about your team or I'm concerned about this customers or these type of customers or I'm concerned about your business model, whatever they're concerned about. I think if you make an active approach to address it and maybe you're not successful at everything you try, but you're successful at a piece of it, mm. then and then you keep doing that, then what I would say is, then, then they're starting to get excited. And I, I remember at first it was like, you know, is there any IP around what you're doing? And I, and I went out and, you know, we did a, hired a firm and did an IP search and submitted a provisional patent. They said, uh, I'm concerned about the music industry. You, you, you probably need, you know, some type of significant partner. I flew out to LA, I, I, you know, killed my resources, but came back home with a signed contract um, uh, from Adam Factory at Nas. And then uh, I'm concerned, you know, whatever your concerns were. <laughs> and then the, my next meeting was great. So you brought up four key points that I want to make sure we address today. And I would just go down the four points of how we address them. And, you know, and then I love hype. Hype is really important after you address your four points. Yep. And, I was, and my hype at the time was we were headed back out to Silicon Valley to a pitch competition. Um, and it was being judged by Tim Draper at Draper University. And I said, if we win, we win um, you know, we're going to be headed to the valley. We did win. <laughs> but you but, didn't uh, head to the valley. I didn't head to the valley. Why not? Uh, well, uh, the, the, those investors were Cincy Tech. Cincy Tech is a firm out of uh, Cincinnati. It was an early stage investor. And no, they, they stuck to their word. You know, we had delivered on the things that they needed to see. So we, 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 we got the term sheet from them and, and they made the investment. I love Cincy Tech and I, I love the brandery and that whole Cincy Tech ecosystem. I, w- I want to make sure we have time to, to talk about that. Uh, but I'd love to dig in a little bit more on the, the listener um, expansion and growth. Can you talk to me, you know, post-funding, what was your first big execution with the business? <laughs> you know what? Uh, so... What I can say is that since day one, we were working with a, a technology in its infancy, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, and, 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 and it's easy in theory, but difficult in application and execution. Um, you know, what I mean by that is how do you sell it? How does it work? Where does it work? What does it do? And, you know, I think our, our first big execution that everyone high fives is that we, we you know, we did a, a light show. Um, in front of, you know, 30,000 fans for Swedish House Mafia in L.A., you know, no connectivity. And we synchronized everyone's phone simultaneously. Wow. And, um, you know, that was our first big one. And, you know, we, and we started to have a number in music, left and right. Um, but every single time we deployed, we were breaking the tech, breaking the tech. <laughs> um, so we, we knew the tech, what I would call, what I would say was weak, for, and we needed to make it better. Um, how that evolved is we really started getting obsessed with the ultrasonic audio portion, not the application of the tech and, and saying, Hey, can we make it more stable? Can we make it more reliable? Can we actually add data? And, and those are the questions that we kept asking ourselves that eventually, um, you know, got the interest of our series a investors. Um, and then mainly, you know, I would bring up a chart and I would say, you know, our application is doing okay. You know, it's growing downloads, music people are using it, but the technology, here's our technology product growth and here's how many people want that. And, and we actually have signed contracts 
to deliver SDKs and APIs and it changed the company. And, you know, and, and then we started, you know, that was back in, people don't know that we really made our mind up to, to be much bigger than music really, really early, like the end of 2013. Um, the reality is just that it's taken, it took us a year of that to get the technology stable. Then we joined RGA Techstars. And everyone was weirded out because like it was a connected device accelerator. And mm. everyone was like, why is Listener joining a connected device accelerator? But they got it. They knew we were trying to use audio to drive data connectivity between devices. And that music application was just one use case of it. There were 10 other use cases that were even significantly more um, impactful. So that was a, an extremely important part of what happened with Listener. I mean, I, I got to meet with incredible founders. Our, our business model changed. Uh, our tech grew. We, we started to work with hardware companies and chip manufacturers like Intel. And we, and we started to do t- things like that, which started to propel the technology. Um, when we graduated out of Techstars, you know, we became a CNBC Disruptor 50 and number 12, uh, you know, Intel and Qualcomm's and all of these, you know, really... You know, tr- you know, true technology companies started to, to, to understand what, wanted to understand what we were up to. Wow, and uh, and that's really that's really how this thing kept growing. I'm curious to know, Rodney, and I, I might be missing part of your backstory here. Um, how did you? Audio was a whole new field for you. Is that correct? Yes, just as diapers were. Yeah. So how did you develop your expertise in that industry? You know, I think, I think I I focused on what I needed to focus on and, and what I needed to focus on is what audio should do. And then I needed smart people around me to tell me what it can do. (laughs) And and then I needed people around me to, to tell me, show me how to do it. There's a, there's another important part of this whole discussion is the, the talent that uh, you know, I've been able to attract to the organization. I think it's been completely separated us. You know, um, I, I, you know, our first two hires, one of our first two hires is the key inventor of our technology. Um, he was a, you know, PhD candidate, electrical computer engineer, obsessed with audio, loved what we were doing, but he thought he could make a better version to, you know, later on in, in our growth, you know, I went after uh, a season. He was a former CTO, a former CEO. He had two exits. He's a San Francisco kind of like player. And he was the GM of a, you know, $250 million business unit at a company called Grace Note. I wish you guys, Indianapolis should be familiar with Grace Note. <laughs> I worked with Scott Jones on a previous venture. Um, that's, he lives in Indianapolis, right? Yeah, he does. Well, he's in Hawaii, he's in Hawaii now, but he's still got a place here in Indy. Well, you know, Scott, someone introduced me to Scott and I drove up to Indianapolis and sat down and met with Scott for an hour. Um, he didn't know. So he didn't know yet (laughs) (laughs) because it didn't go anywhere. But, uh, yes, we have a a number of Grace Note employees (laughs) at Listener now. Oh, that's great. That's great. (laughs) Long story short. Yep. No, he's a, he's an incredible um, asset to the Indiana tech community, and uh, I had a lot of fun running a spinoff startup for him um, out of Cha Cha, which probably at the time is what he was working on uh, when you met with him. 
And yeah. uh, he's just been an incredible investor, mentor to many entrepreneurs here in town. Sorry to hear that uh, that connection <laughs> didn't go anywhere, but maybe we need to reconnect you guys. No, he was a nice guy. And he, he I mean, a beautiful home. And I had a great time meeting with him. Um, but again, you know, I, I you know, you don't never um, forget those conversations coming out of that conversation. I, I told like Grace Note was the, the company that we put at a pedestal. You know, they had figured out how to sell something very similar to us um, across the market. And then, they, and then and we they had limitations that we didn't. So, I mean, they were a, a validation for us. And, and it was for me to be able to talk to him about some of the challenges and some of the things to face, regardless of what I had, what my intention was for that meeting. It was incredible. Yeah. And for listeners who don't know who Scott Jones is, uh, inventor of voicemail, uh, which he, he inevitably sold, uh, the patents to that, uh, and invented grace note, which, uh, kind of powers all of iTunes and, and some of the, uh, other music platforms, which ultimately sold to Sony, I think, um, yeah. invented yeah. N- numerous other technologies. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad to have that mutual connection. Definitely. And uh, most recently just sold to Nielsen. Absolutely. So uh, still, I hope he's still tied to that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think he's got a lot of ties to a lot of technology companies. I think so. Well, so talk to me about what listeners doing now. I'm, I'm really eager to hear. I mean, it sounds like you're still reinventing the company, finding new opportunities. What's next for you? Yeah, no. Not reinventing. Okay. I, I, so I hate I hate words like reinvent or like pivot. That's like I always tell folks uh, if you know Google Google didn't reinvent themselves when they decided to make a, a, a mail client, mm-hmm. given that they were a search engine, and they didn't reinvent themselves when they wanted to make an operating system. No, I think I think when you have um, so no, we're evolving um, and innovating. I think that. So, I mean, what we have today is, is just an ultrasonic protocol. We created a protocol based off of audio that you can't hear. Humans, it's completely silent, completely safe. Uh, but we can transmit small packets of data every second, um, both single directional, bi-directionally, and um, at the same time. So, and Why would we want to transmit small packets of data? Well, think of other protocols that transmit small packets of data. Near-field communication, Bluetooth, uh, RFID, Zigbee, um, there's uh, Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. Uh, you need all of these protocols as ways in which devices can talk to each other or that interact with the environment around it, for example. So mm-hmm. you use protocols for everything. Now, let's think about the proximity protocol landscape. NFC, Bluetooth is the most known. They're all very, very hardware dependent but they're also very, very limited in what it can and cannot do. Um, So if you look at our progression, single directional use cases were like, we would play our ultrasonic technology, we call them smart tones, and we would tell a device what to do. So that's a song telling your device to light up. That's a, you walk into a store and it's telling your device to show a coupon because you're near something. That's single directionally using sound data telling your device what to do. So this, it's not recording audio. It's not taking a snippet of audio and checking a server. The data is actually being pushed through the sound. So that's why we can get it. It can be actually um, accurate. Wow. Now, that, that's single directional. Now, bi-directional 
or what I call local tone generation, is the ability for the device to actually say something back or say something itself. So the device can then create a smart tone and, and, and include a data packet. It can then tell that to another device, and then that other device can then say something back. So um, like when you go to our office today, all, in all of our, our office, you, you walk up to doors, um, every um, employee has a smart tone that's tied to them that is a key that opens that door. Again, just like an RFID or a card, we're using a completely offline uh, data transmission tool that's secure to unlock that door. Now, even you know, focused on unlocking the door, I mean, that could be you know, any door. That can be a car. That can be your password to your device. I mean, that can be anything that you need to identify you and then finally authenticate you. So um, now what we also did was like, okay, that's great. We allowed things to talk to you and talk back. Then we said, hey, can we introduce multi-channels within the bandwidth? So could we create two channels? Number one, if we have two channels, we double our data throughput, but then we could start to do tokenization and handshakes that are completely uh, asynchronous and allow us to do more advanced authentications. So everything from you know, contactless payments to you know, mobile tickets to um, industrial use cases where device-to-device authentication. I mean, that's, it's just, you know, that's the world that we're getting into. Um, in a very, very near, I mean, I mean we have com- companies launching using us in mobile wallets um, to using us um, for mobile tickets instead of QR codes, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I, I would, you know, every, all of the most advanced companies that are trying to change the way we shop, purchase, uh, open doors, IOT, device automation, office automation, they're all either testing us or, or piling us or launching with us in some capacity because we are a better connector that is not hardware dependent. Um, we don't need that NFC chip. We don't need that Bluetooth chip. We're not hardware. Um, and we, we sit very, we, we're, we're a great, what I would call, addition. And I give you an example. Um, you, you have your favorite Bluetooth headphones, or let's say you're home, you have your favorite Bluetooth speaker, and you have multiple friends over. So if multiple friends want to play on your Bluetooth speaker today, you literally have to Bluetooth sync each consumer. And in the near future, you'll have an app that you open up, and the app will recognize all of the players and all of the speakers. And you can just toggle between players and speakers um, and all of the credentialing and authentication is going to happen through audio versus Bluetooth. Because Bluetooth's number one limitation is multi-connectivity within a, a single environment. You get a lot of interference. And in that case, we're almost like a gateway or a least cost router, for example. Now, like I said, I can dive into all different types of verticals and why. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's just, it's just it's more convenient to the consumer. It's better. It's faster. And it's a, it's all of those things. Well, it sounds really exciting. I'm eager to get my hands on some of the technology, so I may have to drive down to Cincinnati and uh, scope out some of your tech. If you're not uh, too high security about, uh, you know, letting people play with your your latest and greatest innovations. No, I'm not at all. I mean, even to the listeners. I mean, you can go to listener.com, request access to our portal, which is our develop, development portal. Um, as long as you have a use case or you want to test something, <clears throat> we'll give you 30 day access for free. Um, and, uh, it's pretty much that easy. Um, if you ever come visit our office, we, we actually will send you your own smart tone. 
that will allow you to enter um, for a period of time, or it may be single use, depending on how much we trust you. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think we're, uh, it's, it's, it's compelling that, you know, I think a company that's doing something really innovative is sitting right in the Midwest, um, downtown Cincinnati. I think that that's really cool, man. And for listeners that maybe aren't familiar with just what a thriving startup and tech ecosystem there is in Cincinnati, uh, tell me why you're not in San Francisco or Boston or New York. You know, so, you know, we're, we're holding on for dear life, <laughs> but, uh, I, I'm gonna tell you this. I think there's no better place to start a company. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think, you know, there's a, you know, the numbers will show you there's a significant amount of seed and early stage funding there. Um, you can talk to all the investors in that community within, within a day, you know, a couple hours, um, you know, cost of living, cost per engineer, um, talent, you're getting really strong talent, uh, for, for, uh, substantially less. And I actually think, you know, the, the workforce and your talent is actually going to be more happy. You know, your, your, your engineer coming out of college, going to be able to start a listener and buy a home and buy a car, you know, day one, if he likes, um, you're not going to be able to do that in San Francisco. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, just, I'm just not, I think, you know, you know, as a kid, the, the first thing I ever recognized about technology was that it, it, uh, even the odds, um, you know, me with my laptop could be anywhere and create anything. And, and, and I think that's, that's really important that I think we all need to understand is that I think the future of, you know, the future of innovation is that it will be everywhere. I mean, Magic Leap is in, you know, Southern Florida, <laughs> one of my favorite companies, right? I mean, who would have thought that, uh, you know, Oculus, was in Orange County. Everyone hears about the, the sexy ones that pop up in San Francisco, but I mean, there's some really big names in all other parts of the country. So I'm an advocate every, everywhere else. I think as we look for our future, right? I mean, we, we're, gonna ha we're growing um, and our talent sometimes tend to be pretty specific. So we, we do have an office in San Francisco. We do have an office in New York, um, headquartered in Cincinnati. I, I think as we continue to grow, it would always be a question on when and where and how, but, but our goal is to definitely uh, stick around as long as we can. I love it, man. If, if people want to find you uh, online, where should they go? Uh, go to listener.com. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, honestly, uh, my handle pretty much everywhere is Rodney. Um, the letter B is in bike. Uh, Williams, uh, Rodney B. Williams. So on LinkedIn or on Twitter or Instagram um, or anywhere, uh, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty accessible. Um, yeah. Thanks, Rodney. I really appreciate you sharing your story and uh, sharing, you know, why you're so passionate about getting this kind of technology into the hands of consumers, into the lives of consumers. And I'm eager to see how you continue to grow and scale uh, from Cincinnati and, and wherever the company takes you, man. Awesome. I appreciate the time and the conversation. Likewise, man. Hey, Matt Hunkler here again. That's it for today's episode of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, but I just wanted to give you a little reminder to give Rodney Williams a follow on Twitter. He's at Rodney B. Williams. Hit him up, let him know you listened to this episode, and let him know what you liked most about his conversation with me here on Powder Keg. And then make sure you check out his website for his company, Listener. Again, that's spelled L-I-S-N-R, and you can just check out that website at listener.com. 
www.thepodcastmarketingmyself.com. We talked about a lot. So I just want to remind you, you can get all of the show notes and the full transcript on our website at powderkeg.co. Just a little reminder, Powder Keg is presented by Verge, which is a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent growing companies beyond Silicon Valley. We have a ton of free resources for starting and growing your business at our website, which is just vergehq.com. We also host several events every month around the country. So check us out, see where we're gonna be. Maybe we can link up in person. Would love to see you, meet you, have a conversation. And again, you can find all that information on our website at vergehq.com. And of course, you can always find me, Matt Hunkler, on Twitter, and I'm just at Hunkler. I appreciate the follow, I appreciate the conversation and all of the ideas that we've been sharing back and forth over the last several weeks since launching the podcast. Podcast. Thanks to all of our powder keggers out there who already left us a review on iTunes. Just a little reminder that you can leave us your honest review on iTunes by going to this link, powderkeg.co slash iTunes. Give us a subscribe while you're at it and we'll be forever indebted to you. It's your reviews, it's your subscriptions and your feedback that help us get better and reach more people. We've got guests like Paul Singh from 500 Startups and Results Junkies. We've got Jay Bear from Convince and Convert and an early investor in companies like Buffer. And we've got Brian Clark from Copy Blogger coming up soon on Powder Keg Igniting Startups. We've got guests like Paul Singh from 500 Startups and We've got guests like Paul Singh from 500 Startups and Results Junkies. We've got Jay Bear from Convince and Convert and an early investor in companies like Buffer, and we've got Brian Clark from Copyblogger coming up soon on Powder Keg Igniting Startups.